0: New Jersey, the most widely known for its Pork Roll, Parkway, and Bruce Springsteen, it's nicknamed the Garden State for a good reason.
1: Nestled within the Delaware River Valley is a little gastronomical haven, and at the heart of this haven is a cooking school on a farm. It's unique. It's unpretentious.
0: And it's dedicated to teaching people how to make really delicious food.
1: This is The Farm Cooking School, the podcast.
0: Hi. We are your hosts,
1: Kendra Thatcher
0: and Carl Wagner. Every other week, or so, we are dedicated to bringing you onto our farm and into our kitchen.
1: We work with quite an accomplished culinary community, and we want to spread the love, knowledge, and passion, because that's important.
0: So let's get cooking!
1: Today, we are taking you into the fields, literally.
0: The Farm Cooking School is unique because we work alongside two other businesses, Roots to River Farm and Locust Light Herb Farm out-of-this-world organic produce and herbs.
1: We'll talk with Malaika Spencer, the owner-founder of Roots to River, who manages her team and fields with honest love and compassion. The result is a smorgasbord of heirloom and exotic organic vegetables that call people from miles and miles away.
0: Then, I chatted with Amanda Midkip, owner of Locust Light Farm, an herbalist, poet, and definitely a good witch. She's part natural nurturer, part earth whisperer,
1: these two women know grit. They know dedication and hard work. And of course, they also know what tastes good.
0: For our In the Kitchen segment, Shelly utilizes Roots to River zucchini, both seconds and non. you'll find out what that means, and herbs from Amanda's Culinary Garden to teach us how to make green spacho and zucchini carpaccio.
1: One of the things I admire most about Malika is how grounded she is. She's a calculated risk taker, and at any moment you'll find her either planting seedlings or fixing a busted irrigation pipe. Malika doesn't just grow food. She literally grows community. Hi, Malika. Hi, Kendra. <laughs> okay, so just start telling me about Roots to River Farm. Like, Where are we right now? um how did Rooster River Farm get started why are we here and not over at the other plot that kind of a thing
2: uh so Rooster River Farm is a uh organic vegetable farm uh we grow about 200 varieties of different organic vegetables about 60 types of vegetables all together uh we grow year round on two separate properties uh one in Salisbury Pennsylvania uh, and in Bucks County and one in Titusville, New Jersey. And, uh, we started six years ago on the Solbury property. Two years ago, we were offered the opportunity to lease this farm, uh, at Gravity Hill. It's, uh, was operated as an organic vegetable farm for 10 years by the owners, and, uh, I had been an intern here at this farm when it was operating as Gravity Hill farm, uh, 10 years ago, it was the first internship that I did for a full season when I was in college. And uh, anyway, so I'd come back to the to this area, started Roots River, and they thought maybe it might be a nice opportunity for me to be able to expand the farm. So um, along with the Farm Cooking School and Locust Light Farm, we took on uh, the operation of this property. We now operate the market that they had started mm-hmm. uh, here on the weekends. And then we're also integrating our business with the cooking school and Locust Light um, here to kind of make this a sort of center place for people to come and learn about food and farming and get some really good high quality eating.
1: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, really high quality and really accessible. I do want to hear more about or hear about when you first fell in love with farming and when you're like, you know what, this is this is my path, this is my passion. So tell me about that.
2: Yeah, so I started working on farms in high school. We had a little organic farm at my high school where you could do your PE credit. And that was a very cool experience to sort of see that cycle of things as a kid. And so in the summers, I started working on farms in the area, just like farmhand stuff for, you know, staffing farm stands. Um, I wasn't necessarily eating a lot of vegetables when I was 16, but, um, I loved, knew I loved being outdoors and I knew I loved sort of the people always like the, the way that the, the places felt and and the people that were involved were what I, you know, I was really attracted to that. Mm -hmm. And then of course I started learning about the way that our food system is and how completely, unsustainable and disconnected and destructive. It is. And so to have that mission sort of coincide with something that I was enjoying doing, I started doing it more. We went um, down to Central and South America and woofed on farms um, before I went to college. And it was right Kind of in that time period, I started working in kitchens and at an ice cream store that was using local ingredients. Mm. So then I was like, oh, wait, this actually tastes better too. This is and people right. enjoy eating this. <laughs> and so all of those things kind of came together, which was like, okay, I like doing it. I feel good. I feel good being outside. It makes my body feel good to like have these, this like tangible work. It's a mission that I feel really strongly about. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something that I can do and feel good about for the world. And then it act, it tastes good um, yeah. and it makes people happy. I was hooked um, at that point. So when I went to college, I studied sustainable agriculture and food science um, for four years and worked on a lot of farms. Where did and you go? I went to Hampshire College in Amherst, Mass., and basically tried to farm as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So I worked on dairy farms and livestock. I tried to train some oxen. I um, took over the winter greens operation at the college. You know, I was just like anything I could do. Maple syrup, making cheese, working with grain. It was just like I wanted to try everything and figure out what I wanted. Yeah. And also like really get into sort of what good food is and why it is that good. Yeah. So once I graduated college, I started a little a uh, CSA uh, up in the Poconos where I farmed on a f- little family farm in exchange for, uh, I did animal chores for them and was able to use a couple acres with one other person. Uh, actually, Amanda Midkiff from Locust Light Farm and I did mm-hmm. that farm together. So that was sort of my, we did everything by hand and worked our butts off from dawn till dark. And that's where I was able to learn a lot and make a lot of mistakes with absolutely no financial risk.
1: That is huge.
2: Uh, I wasn't selling very (laughs) many vegetables, but (laughs) um, it was, you know, it was a perfect training wheels. Right. Essentially.
1: I have seen you do everything from fixing windshields on tractors to, like, fixing pipes in the irrigation system. If you could tell anybody who's thinking about going into farming, what is it really like? Uh, I mean, everything goes wrong every single day.
3: Right. So
2: like you start, you wake up and you think you're going to do a certain amount of things or even some specific things and you that never happens. Uh, so the day, you know, you, you think you're going out to hook the implement on the tractor and then you realize that. The bolt is out, so you can't hook the implement up. So you have to go find the bolt. Oh, there's no bolt. So you have to go, da, da, da. then maybe you need diesel, or then maybe that implement's not going to work, or then maybe it's too wet, and so you can't use it. And then, you know, four other people have to find jobs for that day to be doing things. And so it's like a constant, like you have to make these micro decisions every single day based on factors that you have zero control over, mm-hmm. always. Right. Right. Some of it has to do with equipment and some of it has to do with conditions. Mm -hmm. Um, The weather is, like, the constant variable.
1: I was going to ask you about that because this summer was really crazy. And I do want to just give, like, one quick disclaimer. One thing you are all going to learn about Malaika over this podcast, if you don't already know her, is that she is probably the most grounded person. (laughs) So, like, all these issues that she's saying – I think would frazzle any normal normal human being, but she just takes all of it with grace, and she's like, "Okay, well, <laughs> here's is the issue. Let's just solve it. Like, <laughs> solve it and move on. Solve it, move on. Maybe mm-hmm. we'll cry later. Right? Exactly. <laughs> but we can't
2: do it right now. <laughs> no, we just gotta keep. We just gotta keep on working. Um, okay, so the
1: weather. Let's talk about the weather. <laughs> Every the,
2: a farmer's. Favorite subject. Right. <laughs> um yeah, this year has been the worst year I, I've ever experienced in 10 years of farming. It's I mean, it has rained inches every week. And if you get, you know, if you get over a quarter of an inch, we with our soil, we can't get back into the field for at least a day, like 24 to 48 hours of dryness. And that just means we can't be weeding, we can't be tilling, we can't mm-hmm. be planting. Um, And then all the plants that are in the ground are suffering.
1: What's going on in the fields right now? Let's talk about that.
2: So we're getting ready for winter. Um, I was just writing actually in my CSA newsletter, like how crazy it is to spend nine months building the farm. So we till everything. We put in plastic beds. We plant. We put up the trellises, all to get these plants in and out within nine months. And now we have three weeks clean everything up oh geez <laughs> and start over again so we're planting for winter in our houses um hopefully so we'll have some really nice greens um for for the winter
1: what else are you planting we're
2: planting garlic um, that'll be harvested next summer
1: mm-hmm.
2: uh, so that overwinters in the in the field um so mostly it's just lettuces and scallions and other small greens for for winter harvest okay. Ill have like to harvest through the cold months and then we're just trying to clean everything up it's a big project. All
1: right, well, Malaika, I don't want to keep you much longer because I know that you have a lot to do. But thank you so much for your time. I really yeah, of appreciate course. it. Thank you. And we'll be back with you. Don't worry. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the plot thickens. Malika's best friend and her original right-hand woman at Roots to River is Amanda Midkiff, who now runs Locust Light Herb Farm and Apothecary. Amanda is our resident spirit guide and witch doctor. Just listen, you'll get it. Hi, everybody. Yeah, We are sitting in Shelley's living room. Um, We're here with Amanda Midkiff. She's the owner of Locust Light Farm um, out at Gravity Hill. Um, Could you tell me a bit about Locust Light?
4: Sure. Locust Light is an herbal apothecary garden. So we grow about a quarter acre of medicinal herbs. And I also grow a culinary herb garden for the farm cooking school to use as a kitchen garden and for Roots River Farm CSA members to use as culinary herb picurum. And in from my apothecary garden, I teach herbalism classes. And I also I teach classes at the school. I teach people how to work with herbs medicinally. And the garden is also open during the growing season for medicinal picurum, so people can come on weekends and pick their own herbs. And the goal with that is two part. One aspect of my mission with that is to get people interacting with the herbs as living beings. Because so often, even if people study herbs or work with herbs a lot, they are buying herbs and they're coming in a little plastic bag and people Mm -hmm. just see the leaves cut and sifted, or they might see the roots cut or even ground up. And they don't actually know what the plant looks like when it's alive, or they don't Mm -hmm. have any sense of the plant. For me, that's a big part of herbalism and learning how to work with herbs and developing your intuition and your own relationship with the plants. And the other aspect of that is, um, for people who are working with herbs, you know, I want them to be able to get fresh herbs because it can be really hard to find fresh medicinal herbs and some herbs, you know, some herbs are, you can really only work with fresh and other herbs, you know, and sometimes people just have certain preferences. Like they might want to harvest with certain phases of the moon or harvest at certain times of the month or Mm -hmm. harvest from a plant before it flowers or when it's flowering, um, so the the idea with having the garden open to the public is that it serves, you know, very basic and introductory education and also serves as a resource for people who are very involved with herbs.
0: So for people unfamiliar with kind of an apothecary or, or, or working with herbs in this way, um, you're making a distinction between medicinal and culinary herbs. Mm-hmm. Um, are those actually different herbs themselves or is it just in the way we're using them or?
4: It's Tell just the way we it. use them. So... All culinary herbs are medicinal herbs, Okay, but uh, not all medicinal herbs can be used in culinary for culinary purposes. Uh, whereas in the medicinal garden, you know, some of, I do grow so what we think of as culinary herbs in the medicinal garden. I do grow lavender, rosemary, thyme, oregano, um, et cetera, different types of sage. I do grow those. Um, But I also grow a wide variety of herbs, a lot of which you wouldn't want to cook with. Mm -hmm. Some of which you might um, like fun, you know, edible flowers and things like that. Um, And there are some herbs that in that garden that really need to be used with more caution. They're not something you Mm can consume a lot of.
0: The herbs you're able to grow, though, is quite a few. Yes. Uh, How how many kind of varieties do you have on the farm?
4: Ooh, I think about 75 75 right
0: now. Wow. So the workshops you offer at Locust Light are more... Kind of consumer or it's not like a like formal in the way the classes you're currently taking are. Right. Could you tell me a bit about some of the workshops you offer and and you know what you're what you're up to? Yeah.
4: So the workshops I offer are designed to get people using herbs in their homes and in their daily life. So the goal for me is to get people feeling empowered in their wellness, primarily, and then also to know that there are some really gentle, affordable, yet very effective herbal options to just help support them in their daily wellness and support them if an issue comes up. They always involve a hands-on component. Um, So usually I pair a wellness theme with a type of herbal remedy. Mm -hmm. So one class has been herbs for immune support and we learn about some basics about the immune system, herbs that can help support the immune system. And then we learn how to make a tincture. Another class was herbs for respiratory health.
0: What's a tincture again?
4: A tincture is herbs extracted into alcohol.
3: Okay.
4: Yeah. Um, another And then they take that tincture home with them and then they get to use it. Mm-hmm. Another class was herbs for respiratory health and then we did herbal facial steams in class and then they got to make oh, a fine. facial steam blend to take home. Yeah, cool. um, And for me, I also, I really enjoy acknowledging the seasonal cycle mm-hmm. and so I'm starting to branch out into classes that are really where my heart lies, which is a class that spans herbalism and also working with the season. So last night I taught a class which was so much fun called the inward spiral potions and practices for solstice season Ooh, yeah
0: witchy i know love it
4: so we talked about practices you can do it to support yourself at this time of year and to really embrace and lean into this time of year and we talked about five herbs that you can work with this time of year that are nice medicinally but we were more focusing on energetically why they work Mm -hmm. with this time of year and also Deliciousness reasons why they work yeah. this time of year, and then we were sipping the the herbal teas, and then we all made solstice elixirs
0: to take home. Ooh, mm-hmm. Yeah, wow, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. And we also have in front of us a, a product from one of your workshops. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to tell everyone what we have here?
4: Sure. So during market a few weeks ago, maybe about over a month ago, we had a firesider workshop, and firesider is a Vinegar extraction of a number of very pungent herbs, which is great It's great to make in the fall firstly because these plants are available um, But also because these herbs are all great for Boosting our immune health. They're really pungent. So they're great for our respiratory health Um, They're just it really is in line with what we should be consuming this time of year. So this is a spicy fiery blend Um, There's a lot of different recipes. The recipe that we used in class, we used garlic, onions, cayenne, horseradish, and ginger.
0: Oh, wow. So things everyone knows about. Everyone knows those things. Yeah. Yeah.
4: And maybe we're not all eating horseradish, but you know, everyone's heard of horseradish. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So in the workshop, we talked about each of those herbs and why they're also beneficial, and we chop them up together, and we set them in the vinegar to soak.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And they need to soak for a period of time, right? About...
4: Yeah, about four weeks.
0: And this one happens to be ready, I think, to strain. Yes, yeah. Would you want to try some? Sure. Um, so, how are people using fire cider? Um, you know, what are what are its benefits?
4: So, fire cider is something that people really take a lot in like late fall, early winter, or sometimes even throughout the winter um, to protect against cold and flu, or if you feel a cold and flu or any sort of upper respiratory throat illness coming on. Mm-hmm. Um, it can really. It could definitely like help prevent you from getting sick, but it can also help knock an illness out, especially one of the, you know, something that's like settling in your lungs or settling in your throat. So usually you're taking about like a tablespoon. Maybe you're taking it every morning or every day or like, you know, I was ill a few weeks ago and I was taking it like every hour. Oh, wow. So you're just taking it by the teaspoon. You could put it in hot water, but to me it's it's kind of strong, so I'd rather take it like a shot than yeah, linger right. on the flavor. Right.
0: <laughs> All right. So we have this open now. Oh, wow. Very mm-hmm. nice.
4: Yeah, it's strong.
0: It's strong. Very, Um, as you said, there's garlic in there, like, especially garlicky and gingery.
4: And the horseradish. And horseradish Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you can, like, smell how spicy it is, too, I mm-hmm.
4: feel like. Should I pour?
0: Yeah, sure. That's good. Great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's perfect. Um, and we're gonna give this a try. I'm very excited. All right. It's a, been a cold few days. I, I know. This will be especially nice.
4: Yeah, it's gonna get it's gonna get really fragrant in here once we do this. Do you have a chaser?
0: No ch. Well, yeah, we no <laughs> chaser. Do you have one? I've got some Should water. Do you have a chaser? Mmm. Oh. <laughs>
4: <laughs> like takes a second, then it fully hits you.
0: Yeah, it's really, mm-hmm. it's really nice though. Can you feel it's... the
4: fumes of the onions and garlic yeah. going into your lungs? Yeah. So the so that um, the reason we all will get garlic breath or onion breath is because, um, that type of sulfur, the fumes actually will go into your alveoli, and linger oh, wow. in your lungs. And they're doing their good work there. And then they come back out through your breath.
0: Right. Wow. Yeah. You, f- you can feel a, like just warmth spreading mm-hmm. across your chest. Yeah. And it's pretty incredible. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. And I would Perfect. like to point out that this cider is called Gratitude Cider. It's a nice example of how nice we all are to each other. Um, I gave it to Carl because he cleaned up the entire class after I was done
1: teaching because a student wanted to walk through the garden. So thank you, Carl. Oh, thank you. seconds. Too many people don't know about seconds. Let's take a moment to tell you about seconds. To a farmer, they're money down the toilet. They're bruised or a little past or not perfectly shaped. The bottom line is that they are still perfectly nutritious, but they just won't sell at the market.
0: So, chefs like Ian and Shelly take these and make them into delicious food. Here, Shelly makes green spaccio with seconds and a zucchini carpaccio with some, well, not seconds.
3: So we make a zucchini carpaccio here that is a great way to showcase the beautiful different colors of the zucchini um, that Roots to River grows. What we do is uh, make that the star of the dish. So the way to make zucchini carpaccio is really quite simple. First, we toast the pine nuts and we just do it in a pan um, a dry pan over medium heat and keep keep uh, shaking the pan so that different sides get exposed and you want it to turn a really lovely golden color um, not too dark uh, and then we um, put those aside and start shaving the, the zucchini which you can do either with a mandolin which is very easy or you can do it with a y-shaped peeler which is also Um, uh, easy. What you want to do is continue over and over again on one side so that the edges are the skin uh, until you get to the seeds and then you turn it over and do the other side. Um, And uh, That way you just have a strip in the middle that's left but all the rest is being used and you see all the colors of the skin. So when you arrange it on the plate you're looking to get some height in there from the, the the fact that these are ribbons and they can curl like ribbons so you want to sort of bend some um, over on themselves or put half of it sideways or opposite to the other side so it twists and just get a little volume on the plate instead of just a flat thing um, so you know you can have fun with that. Now that the zucchini are on the plate we start to season them so first a little salt and pepper to bring out the flavor and then a drizzle of olive oil to sort of give it some richness. Uh, and then um, it's nice to use some lemon zest as well as lemon juice. So take a microplane or a rasp grater and grate the lemon zest right onto the, um, right onto the plate. And once you've got a little of that, um, we're gonna cut the lemon in a certain way so that we don't get any seeds and it's very easy to squeeze the juice. This is something I learned in Mexico. Um, It's, what you do is is instead of cutting right down the middle, you go about half an inch from the center and cut a cheek off. So there are three cheeks, you know, after that, you you do the same thing on the other side and the same thing on the third side. So you're left with a little triangular um, wedge in the middle and the rest shouldn't have seeds in them, or if they still do, they're very easy to take out. Uh, and then you just squeeze that on top of the zucchini and uh, to sort of wake it up. So the next thing to do here again with a, with a Y-shaped uh, vegetable peeler is to shave some Parmesan on there for a little extra umami uh, for the dish to give it depth. And, um, and then uh, sprinkle the pine nuts on and then we'll get to the herbs. So you can use whatever herbs are available to you. We suggest mint or basil or both um, uh, and some marjoram for a little, little more depth. Uh, we didn't have any marjoram, so we used oregano, which is close, you could use uh, thyme as well. So, you know, have fun with what, what's available to you. Don't feel like you have to stick to it. You know, if you have dill, it could also be delicious. So um, you just want to tear those herbs and sprinkle them on um, just scattered uh, randomly um, and, and, and then your dish is ready to eat. One of the things I love about cooking here on this uh, expanse of farm is that we have our very own uh, culinary garden that was planted by Amanda Midkiff, our apothecary um, medicinal herb uh, person. And so to just go outside and be able to pick the mint or the sage or the uh, rosemary, lots of basil, um, is fantastic. We also grow things like lemon verbena and uh, um, I've forgotten what it's called now, something hyssop, which has a cucumber flavor that's completely new to me. So we use that and the lemon verbena often to flavor water that we just serve, you know, offer to the people who come to the market. So we have little herb water, which is uh, just very simple and fresh. The second dish that we're going to do today is something that um, is fantastic to use up seconds from the market. The things that Malaika can't sell at the market because they are imperfect uh, but for us, uh, we're going to blend them into a soup so we can cut out any bad bits and um, it's perfectly uh, useful and flavorful. So we make a green spaccio, which is the name we give to a zucchini gazpacho. So all the ingredients in it are green, um, we have the zucchini um, seconds from the farm, uh, and we also... Um, add a little Cubanelle pepper, sort of very lightly flavored green pepper, and uh, a green apple, which doesn't come from the farm, but it gives it the, the sort of tartness and sweetness at the same time, rounding out the flavor. All right, so first we're going to chop the zucchini, the pepper, the uh, apple, uh, and the shallots all just get chopped um, coarsely and go into the blender. So the blender does most of the work. Um, We add a little uh, water to help liquefy it. Um, We add some uh, cider vinegar to give it a kick. And then um, salt and pepper, of course, and uh, some fresh herb flavors again. Here we're doing both mint and cilantro, which will pack a punch. Uh, and then uh, some olive oil, uh, so while the blender is running um, will um, drizzle in the olive oil to the blender so it emulsifies really well into the soup and that will give it the richness that it needs to have sufficient body. Uh, and so we blend it all up till it's super smooth and that's it, your soup is done. Well, The only thing you need to do now is to chill it so that it's super cold and it will keep in the fridge for a few days without any problem, so you can make it ahead if you want to. It's so wonderful to be here at the Farm Cooking School and be able to make dishes like this with fresh ingredients and serve them in our classes, teach people how to make them, serve them at our dinners, and also at the market, where people come um, to buy vegetables, and while they're there, have a cup of soup or a pizza. Uh, it's just a marvelous atmosphere and the, the, we, we really feel like we're building a community um, here which we love.
0: We recorded that segment in the summer as part of our video series. You can see the video and get the recipe on our website at thefarmcookingschool.com. Next time on our podcast, we introduce you to the greater cooking school community of teachers, collaborators, and farmers. We talk wine, butchering, and animal husbandry with some of our good friends.
1: Until then, be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at the Farm Cooks, and check out our website for all the good stuff in this episode and to see upcoming classes. TheFarmCookingSchool.com. If you have any questions, send them on over to me, Kendra at TheFarmCookingSchool.com.
0: This episode, we'd like to thank Malika Spencer, Amanda Midkiff, Shelley Weissman and Andrew Applegate, our editor. Till next time, cook well
1: and eat your vegetables.